From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. The Apollo 11 rocket NASA launched into space 50 years ago this week was also the blast-off point for things now commonly used on Earth. Cordless drills, memory foam, non-flammable polymer fibers, and this staple of late-night TV infomercials. The number one reason people don't work out is time. They just don't have enough. So we've developed a way to burn more calories with a full body workout that gets results. In addition to the Bowflex, the first moonwalk created the foundations for technology that moves people and products around every single day. The lunar laser retro reflector used by astronaut Buzz Aldrin was critical to developing global positioning systems or GPS. Well, Dr. Todd Yeager is much more equipped to talk about this than I. He's global director of the commercial of commercial optics for Horaeus, which helped produce the reflector, and he made the trip in from Horaeus's quartz glass facility in Buford, Georgia. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So astronaut Buzz Aldrin carried the lunar laser retro reflector onto the surface of the moon. What picture of what it looked like? So it's uh, about a foot by two foot in diameter, a few inches thick, and it has a 10 by 10 array, so a hundred of these fused silica corner cube retro reflectors. What do they do? So they're basically a fancy mirror that doesn't require as a high precision alignment as your standard mirror. If you think about getting ready in the morning and you're looking in the, the mirror, if you're standing right in front of it, you can see yourself. But if you move off to either side, you're seeing a reflection that's at a 90 degree angle off of that. Whereas this corner cube retro reflector, the way it works is if you took a, a cube and truncated off the corner, you have three perpendicular surfaces. So when light enters the front, it bounces off all three of these surfaces and then turns 180 degrees and comes right out the way it came. So this helped in making the alignment much easier for the entire experiment. So what was the experiment? What was it doing? Well, really, it's similar to sonar, where you would send out a signal that bounces off of something, and based on the round-trip time, you can determine the distance away. In this way, though, instead of sound, we used light. So a high-power ruby laser was the original light source, fired from the Earth, travels to the moon, hits the retroreflector, comes back. Round-trip time's about two and a half seconds. If we take that round-trip time, divide by two, multiply by the speed of light, we have the distance. So that's what it was doing, measuring distance. Absolutely, and, and to a very high precision. We actually can measure the distance from the Earth to the moon down to about a millimeter. Wow, that, even at that time, that technology. Well, it's gotten a little bit better in the precision over the years with the growth of uh, stronger laser sources, shorter pulses, etc. So even to this day, they're still using that same retroreflector for the experiments. It's the only remaining piece of equipment from the Apollo missions that's still functioning after 50 years. That is just astounding. It was also used on Apollo 14, 15, 11, and 50 years later, still delivering data from the surface of the moon? Absolutely. So our company, Horaeus, was tasked with providing a glass that would last for 10 years. So Managing a global sales team, I'm always happy when we can under-promise and over-deliver, <laughs> so having it still functioning after 50 years is a great achievement. But if, if it needed to be replaced, I mean, they're not... Are there manned missions to the moon in the works? There's a lot of talk of manned missions. Uh, certainly there are some uh, probe missions that are scheduled for different countries to do this. Uh, but it is pretty difficult to send someone up there, dust off the moon dust, or replace an optic whenever something goes wrong. So it is really a testament to the strength of the material and also to the design of the experiment.
Wow, it's really something. All right, so how is this all connected to GPS and the development of GPS? Right, so you may have heard of a, a gentleman by the name of Albert Einstein that was pretty popular. Yes. Yeah. So he had these uh, two theories of, of relativity, general and uh, special relativity. They describe how clocks tick and how the, the time actually would change, either based on the speed something's traveling or how gravity affects the perception of, of time. When we use this experiment, we're able to accurately plot the orbit of the moon down to this precision. We can check whether Einstein's theory of relativity actually holds water, a and it does. Um, so how does this relate to GPS? If you think about these GPS satellites that are zipping around the planet, they're traveling faster than you would be just sitting here on mm -hmm. Earth their clocks actually will tick slightly slower than a clock here on Earth. Likewise, you have this distortion of the space-time fabric by a huge massive object, in this case the Earth, and also the distortion from the Moon. This causes another time dilation. In this case, the clock on Earth would actually tick slightly slower, if I got that right, uh, versus the clock that would be put um, on this, uh, on this, sorry, it's a clicking, it would be ticking faster on the satellite. I have to correct myself. Mm -hmm. You get a so time slower dilation. on the Earth, faster on the satellite. Right, and and you actually get a difference of about thirty-eight microseconds. So thirty-eight millionths of a second doesn't sound like much, but in order for GPS to work, these atomic clocks have to have a precision in the nanosecond or billionths of a second range. So just that time dilation of thirty-eight microseconds would cause your GPS that might be accurate to a foot or less in the morning to being off by five miles by the end of the day. Wow. Okay. I didn't even know those two were related. Right. So they, they work this algorithm into the processors that are on the satellites and then also into that little receiver that you have. Because GPS is just clocks talking to each other and, and measuring what the delay from one time source to another would be. My guest is Dr. Todd Yeager. He's Global Director of Commercial Optics for Horaeus, which helped develop something called the Lunar Laser Retro Reflector placed on the moon 50 years ago tomorrow, I guess, right? The technology is critical, to, was critical, and continues to be to developing GPS. It is the only tool from that mission still actively sending data back to Earth. And Dr. Yeager, by the way, also worked at NASA's Laser Risk Reduction Program. Okay, so all of this was conceived by Dr. James Fowler when he was a graduate student in physics at Princeton. This was in the late 1950s. What was he studying specifically? So his proposal was really, hey, this has got to be a very simple idea when we think about laser physics, et cetera. And as a grad student, he wrote up this nice little proposal, made a note to his professor that said, hey, does this make any sense or, or will this work? Uh, I'm not sure if his professor had said initially no, and that's usually the response we get from our advisors is no, it's not going to work. Uh, but in fact, the simplicity of the experiment is one of the reasons that it, it still works today. That is really something. And you know, it made me think about not only was the space race going on on this big level, but all of these scientists were in their own little space race. They were in competition to propose things to bring to the moon or, or, or experiments to do on the moon. Yeah, and I'd like to think that that competition was a little bit friendlier than the one in the Cold War. <laughs> but uh, coming from the academic world, I can tell you sometimes those competitions get a bit heated, especially when it comes to getting government funding. So, Well, how, 
how did how does one turn a theoretical idea like this into something that astronauts could transport on Apollo 11? Well, so obviously there were some prototypes and test runs that would have occurred on Earth before then. Um, you don't uh, want to send something into space that you haven't tested mm -hmm. in, in one way or another. Um, really having lasers just being invented uh, just a few years before was the key. And the laser itself was really a solution looking for a problem for a long time. Now you can't do anything without a laser. Uh, so people were looking at these really interesting new physics experiments and saying, okay, I've got this great light source that can do all these great things. Who cares and why does it matter? And so this was an outcome of that taking this solution, trying to find problems that we could apply it to. If this had not happened, I mean, it's so difficult to imagine life today without GPS technology. So much is guided by it. Could it have been done as effectively without the reflector being situated on the moon? It's, it's always hard to say, uh, you know, what could have been, would have been, should have been, etc. Certainly, I don't believe that it would have moved as quickly as it did without this, this key crucial experiment. Um, it is a testament, though, to funding that goes into research to say, when you say, okay, we're giving you this money, we're doing the research, what's my return on investment? What's the product going to be? It's so difficult to say. This is a perfect example of why we need to continue funding programs because we never know what that outcome is going to be and how that's going to affect our life 25, 50, 100 years down the road. I'm wondering also how the signals or laser signals are sent to the moon to be received by this reflector. Are they all over the world? Because, of course, the moon turns mm -hmm. and it's not facing the Earth. <laughs> right. Uh, so this was actually a, a key part of the experiment. There had been some physicists before that had done some laser ranging by firing a laser at the moon and then seeing the reflection back. The problem was that you were always hitting off of a mountain or a valley, a boulder, a crater rim, etc. And so the distance varied greatly just because of the surface of the moon. So this gave a, a flat, fixed surface that's there constantly. There's a couple other retroreflectors that have been placed there in different spots around the, the moon, which helps to have a few targets to pick from mm -hmm. and also to verify the measurements that you have. Uh, it is... Although simple in design, a very, very complex experiment, though. Uh, the lasers are very bright. You're firing a quadrillion photons at the moon, which is a one with 17 zeros after it. Uh, it gets up to the moon. It starts out about a centimeter. By the time it hits the moon, you're a couple kilometers wide, and you're hitting a target that's a square foot or two square feet. That then reflects whatever it has hit back to the Earth, now your spot's maybe six kilometers wide, and your detector's maybe a square centimeter, maybe a little bit bigger. So out of that quadrillion photons that you send out, you detect one. <laughs> it's like uh, going to a beach that's 1,000 kilometers long and, let's say, 30 feet deep and 300 kilometers in the other direction, and someone telling you exactly which grain of sand <laughs> they expect you to find. So really the, the needle in the proverbial haystack. So You know, I didn't ask you, how did Horaeus get connected with this? So Horaeus was well-known within research communities, of course, for high-purity materials in general. Uh, the Horaeus family actually started uh, in pharmaceuticals 350 years ago, believe it or not. And really, the company is based around precious metals and their use. So where does Fusilica come into this? Well, in order to melt platinum for the original reactions that were needed to make these pharmaceuticals, they needed something that could withstand the high temperatures to melt platinum. And it ended up that natural quartz rock 
was what worked. Fast forward decades later, and um, they were starting to use this quartz in scientific experiments, needed a higher purity than what you got from a natural rock, and so fusilica was developed. So instead of normal glass melting where you've got sand and a few other things, you heat it up and it becomes a liquid, fusilica is actually made by a chemical reaction where you burn a silicon-containing compound in a hydrogen and oxygen flame, and you deposit SiO2, so pure silica. It's actually one of the purest materials ever synthesized by man. Um, it probably helps out a lot that you had a lot of uh, German scientists that were working at NASA at the time, that a German company's material was also selected. Uh, but it was a testament to the high purity of the fusilica that Horaeus was known for. Well, I want to thank you so much for telling us about this. Do you look up at the moon when you're looking at your GPS and think, ah? Oh. You're helping me out here. Well, I, I try to keep my eyes on the road for the most <laughs> of part. Of course you do. <laughs> no but, distracted driving here in Georgia. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, but no, I, I, I'm still one of those that gazes at the moon all the time wondering, you know, what what is it like up there? Mm. And I do have a sense of pride that the company that, that I represent uh, was able to produce something that has lasted so long. And of course, we use that uh, as best as we can as salespeople because it's a great lifetime test. Todd Yeager, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me. He is Global Director of Commercial Optics for Horaeus Facility in Buford, which helped develop something called the Lunar Laser Retroreflector, placed on the moon 50 years ago, tomorrow, and still being used. Critical developing to developing GPS.